Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Road World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short, and with me here is Drew Silva. Drew, how's it going? It's good, man. We had a couple of real baseball brawls the other night. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've seen the highlights everywhere. One at Fenway Park um, after Red Sox setup man Joe Kelly hit Tyler Austin of the Yankees in the upper rib cage, which was apparently retaliation for Austin sliding spikes up into second base earlier in the game. Um, Austin charges Joe Kelly, punches are thrown, the bench is clear. There's not much fantasy fallout to that one. Kelly got a six game suspension. Austin got five games. Austin is often a nice start the season offensively, but I think he's more of like a borderline roster guy in, in standard mixed fantasy leagues. Yeah. I, the, I, I thought what was interesting, the rival, the rivalry back. Though, that's Yankees Red Sox. That's what people were saying like all day on Twitter. And it's, it's funny how much people missed that kind of thing. Uh, the confrontation between the two sides and, in a way, it always gets silly when it gets to the point of teams throwing at each other, but it is entertainment, and I was entertained, so I guess I'm not really going to complain. I think I think we could have predicted that the, the Yankees and Red Sox would get in some kind of confrontation, both coming into the year feeling like they're championship-caliber teams. And it's interesting to see with like the new managers in charge, Alex Cora mm-hmm. and Aaron Boone, how they respond to those things, and and they seem to kind of be getting at each other too. Uh, the benches barking back, barking back and forth at each other. So that was that was pretty captivating, also. Yeah, Phil Nevin, the Yankees' new third base coach, yeah. kind of got into the mix too. It was, you know, it's it's good entertainment. It's good when no one gets hurt. I guess right. um, I, it's pretty stupid too. Um, the other brawl, though, you know, with. Nolan Arenado getting thrown at by Padres starter Luis Perdomo has some fantasy relevant layers to it. Um, Arenado was really pissed off. The pitch didn't hit him, actually sailed behind him, but he charged really hard at the mound, took a swing at Perdomo. And the glove, catcher, the glove toss yeah. from Perdomo yeah. was pretty <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> it was kind of not very accurate. No. Um, and then he really backed up. I mean, Arenado's a big dude. Yeah. Um, Padres catcher AJ Ellis was tailing Arenado as he charged, got involved with a big scrum of players. Punches were thrown by several people. I, you'd expect a suspension for Arenado, maybe the, the same um, f- five game one that Tyler Austin got, and then Perdomo will probably get five games, maybe six games too. Right. 
Right. Um, and then there might be some shorter suspensions for some other guys. Herman Marquez uh, was g- hitting guys with a towel, which was weird. Yes. Um, <laughs> he, he, might, he might get a game for just being a weirdo. Uh, Gerardo Parra might get a short suspension too. He was really in the mix. I think he might have hit AJ Ellis at one point. Um, this was all an apparent retaliation for Manuel Margot of the Padres, one of our favorite breakout candidates here at Roto World, uh, getting hit in the ribs by a 95-mile-an-hour fastball on Tuesday night, then landing on the disabled list the next day. Um, f- just to get into the fantasy elements of this, obviously Arenado might, might be lost for five games, and then um, Margot on the disabled list as, as kind of a tangent to what happened on Wednesday um franchi cordero was called up from triple yes. a el paso as the corresponding move when margot was placed on the dl and cordero is starting in center field and and hit leadoff for the padres in his first two games since that call up he had a home run on wednesday in his regular season debut that second game hadn't started by the time we rec- started recording this podcast on thursday night but he is at leadoff again like i said and you know, as much as we love Margot, there's a lot to like with Cordero from from a fantasy perspective. He tore it up this spring in the Cactus League, got left off the Padres' opening day roster because they had Margot in center, Will Myers in right, with Eric Hosmer getting signed to play first base, and then Jose Perella in left, Hunter Renfro on the depth chart too. Um, Margot's x-rays were negative, no cracked ribs or anything like that, so he should be fine to return from the 10-day DL when, when he's first eligible next weekend once that bruising goes down. Um, but Myers still hasn't thrown a ball or swung a bat since he went down April 4th with nerve irritation in his right arm, something that began bothering him back in spring training. So there's really not a timetable with him yet. Um, so maybe Cordero can stick around even when Margot returns, get regular starts in right field until Myers comes back. Cordero had a 326 batting average, 972 OPS, 17 home runs. 64 RBIs and 15 stolen bases in 93 games last year at Triple A El Paso. Um, this the kind of counting stats upside we all crave as fantasy players. Super athletic dude, I like him a lot. Yeah, the coming down the stretch last year, I I, I wrote it earlier today in waiver wire. I think he struck out like 44 times in 99 plate appearances in the majors last season. So uh, you worry about the strikeouts, but. Uh, without a doubt, a super toolsy guy and just really interesting. So if you need some pop and speed in your lineup and, you know, with so many speed guys down right now, I think it's well worth taking a chance on him in a, like a deeper mixed league and not necessarily standard leagues. But, you know, if you use uh, multiple utility spots or it's like five outfielder kind of league, I definitely think he's uh, relevant there. Um, we're going to get into some big headlines of the week and some waiver wire pickups uh, in a minute. But if you like what you're hearing with the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, etc. And make sure to rate and review the show as well. That would be a huge help. Um, so the brawls on Wednesday night kind of distracted from the big injury of the night, and that was Ranger shortstop Elvis Andrews suffered a fracture in his right elbow, his throwing elbow. Uh, he was hit hit by a pitch from Angels reliever uh, Keenan Middleton in the ninth inning. Uh, the good news is Andrews will not need surgery on the elbow. Uh, we learned that Thursday afternoon. So he's expected to miss about six to eight weeks. Um, so we're looking at a return around the start of June, perhaps. Um, sounds like a situation that could have been much worse, but obviously still a shame to see. Of course, Andrews had the, the huge 2017, broke out with 20 home runs, career high. 
Uh, put up an 800 OPS for the second straight year. Andrews was off to a really good start this year as well. He was hitting 327, two homers, 927 OPS through 14 games. Um, but now he's facing that long-term absence. Uh, the Rangers have had some bad luck with injuries so far. Not only Andrews, but yeah. Rugnet Odor's hamstring injury. Delino DeShield, someone we liked a lot uh, with the Hammett bone. He's still going to be out for a while. Um, by the way, it looks like Jerks and Profar is finally going to get a chance to play. Um, but I don't know if there's much excitement in fantasy leagues at this point. Yeah, I mean, you really have to talk yourself into him. Obviously, the former number one overall prospect in baseball. And, and between all these demotions and you know being moved into a utility role, he posted really good minor league numbers. He, his career numbers at AAA are, are pretty fantastic. The problem is like he doesn't run like he did as a young prospect. Um, and he really doesn't have a whole lot of power. So I just don't know where the counting stats would come from. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like maybe in a 16-team league, you take a look at that situation. But um, he's probably not someone that's necessarily going to be on my radar in a standard format. The, with the, the Andrews thing, um, there was talk from the Rangers beat writers that it might have been retaliation, speaking of throwing at batters, um, because – the Rangers hit Mike Trout in the helmet. Uh, I saw that, during, yeah. yeah. Yeah, during spring training. And then I guess there have been some some slides that people took issue with in a series earlier this year. Um, I think Jerks and Profar ran into Andrelton Simmons at, at second base. Um, so just, just more of that crap. You know, there nothing bad happened with injuries in the Red Sox and Yankees and Padres Rockies stuff, but it's easy. It's easy for that to happen when guys are thrown at each other. Yeah, you hate to see that. I mean, there is the entertainment side that I was kind of kidding about a little bit earlier, but you just hate when you see that kind of thing happen, especially if that was retaliation. I mean, that's that's just weak. Yeah, and then um, another big injury situation is Eugenio Suarez, um, the Reds' third baseman, who was a great value in drafts this spring, at least in my opinion had an average draft position of 220.8 in Yahoo leagues after posting a career high 828 OPS, 26 home runs and 82 RBIs last season, signed a big seven year, $66 million contract extension. this spring with Cincinnati uh, had two home runs, seven RBIs and an OPS in the thousands through his first eight games this season, but landed on the disabled list Monday after getting hit by a pitch on Sunday afternoon. I don't think it was a retaliatory pitch, but who knows? Um, it sounds like he could be out until late May or, or even June, may, maybe even towards the middle of, of June. Um, it's a, just a bad situation. If you, like me, got a ton of shares of Suarez this spring, um, this does, though, clear a more obvious path to the majors for Reds' top prospect, Nick Senzel, who is a must-add in my mind if, if somebody hasn't stashed him away already in your league. It sounds like he could be called up to take over the, as the Reds' starting third baseman sometime this weekend. Um, Senzel was drafted as a third baseman, uh, but opened the year playing second base at AAA Louisville because he wasn't going to leapfrog a healthy Suarez at the hot corner. Um, but obviously that situation has changed. Senzel has started at third base the last two nights at Louisville in preparation for you know what could be his pending arrival in Cincinnati. Friday, April 13th, the date this podcast will go live is also the date when the Reds can promote Senzel and not risk him pushing his free agency to 2022 rather than 2023. Um, Senzel was the number two overall pick in 2016 out of the University of Tennessee, 
has raked at every level of the minor leagues, had a 321 batting average, 905 OPS, 14 home runs, and 14 stolen bases in 119 games last year between high A and double A. Maybe not the most eye-popping counting stats, but still pretty good. And it just gives you a taste of his wide-ranging skill set. And keep in mind, he began his professional career less than 22 months ago. Um, and you know, the, just the all around skill set, really well-rounded hitter with power and speed. It's going to be a great fantasy producer. If not immediately, then somewhere down the line gets to play his home games in the band box. That is great American ballpark. And the reds have allowed their players to be very aggressive on the base pass under, under manager, Brian price. So I think the arrow is really pointing up for him. And, and I think he could be a guy that has, has an immediate impact in just standard mixed fantasy leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those situations where he'll initially play some third base and then probably move around a little bit. Um, and actually, I mean, his counting stats numbers might play better at shortstop or second base in, in the long term. But I definitely think it can be sort of like a double-digit homer steal guy right now. Um, as you said, in a hitter-friendly ballpark, I think that helps him a little bit too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think right now, if he's out there in your league, I think he's worth stashing uh, it seems like something's imminent. Um, we'll see. There's certainly not anything official yet, but the timing seems right. And, you know, do we really want to see Cliff Pennington playing third base right now? Uh, I don't think so. So I really hope it happens soon. I think it's it's worth stashing him. I, I put him in waiver wired on, on Thursday. I think it's it's fairly imminent, if not exactly on the day. with the, He has gotten off to sort of a slow start in AAA, so maybe they'll wait a couple of days. Uh, but I think he'll be up pretty soon. Um, just a couple other injury situations quickly. Uh, David Price left his start Wednesday against the Yankees after just one inning after feeling what was described as sensations in his left hand. Um, he gave up four runs through 35 pitches in that one inning of work. Um, it gave the Red Sox a little bit of a scare, but Price said after the game that he felt fine. Uh, and he also indicated it had nothing to do with his elbow issues from last season. So, you know, we'll have to take him at his word for now. Uh, Price apparently dealt with this before when he was with the Tigers and, and didn't miss a start. So um, hopefully it's nothing. Um, as of now, there's a chance he'll be able to make his next scheduled start Monday against the Orioles. Um, one Red Sox, if you call them Red Sox, uh, <laughs> we won't be seeing for a little while. I always feel weird when I say Red Sox, like the singular. But Do you put an apostrophe, apostrophe S after the X, too? I, I No, that, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I can't do that. <laughs> I know, it's hard. <laughs> it all makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but one, one player we won't be seeing for a while, Xander Bogarts, unfortunately. Uh, Bogarts suffered a small fracture in the talus bone of his left ankle and sort of a freak play Sunday against the Rays. Uh, J.D. Martinez had some trouble with the green monster uh, on a fly ball. Uh, the ball eventually got back into the infield. Bogarts sort of made like this flip toss to a vacant third base. And then Bogarts went on the chase after it. And he kind of went into a slide and ended up in the race dugout. And initially it looked like a pretty innocent play and he landed just fine. But uh, Bogarts came up limping, needed help getting off the field. And really a bummer. You look at the way Bogarts has started this season. He's been fantastic. Uh, hitting 368, two homers, seven doubles, nine RBIs through nine games. Silver lining here, another situation where it appears things could have been much worse. Uh, Bogarts isn't going to need surgery either. He's already out of his walking boot. And believe it or not, the hope is that he could be back in around two weeks. And that sounds really fast to me. But hey, I don't think fantasy owners are going to complain. Yeah, the the price thing worries me kind of. That tingling sensation can 
be a symptom of forearm, forearm and elbow yeah. problems. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I, I talked him up so much on last week's podcast that he was back. He what he had a 29 and a third scoreless inning streak dating back to last September and then through the through the 2017 postseason. So uh, I'd be worried. I'm worried. Um, but at least, yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully it's nothing. But if it does turn he, out to be something, you probably didn't pay a lot for him on draft day. True. I'm, he was playing so. catch uh, on Thursday afternoon, so that's a good sign. Okay, so before we move on to some other MLB headlines, if you love fantasy baseball, and, and we assume you're listening to this podcast of your own volition, so you probably do, uh, well, you need to try our new favorite app. It's called Draft. It's daily fantasy baseball, but not like those other guys. You aren't going to find salary caps, pros or bots filling up games. On Draft, you play real live snake drafts with other people, just like in your season-long leagues. Here's how it works. Drafts, drafts take as little as two minutes and last for just one night. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waivers. You just set your lineup and forget it. Quick and easy. Drafts start every minute, so you can join one right now. And the best part is the cash, of course. Drafts start from just $1, so it's really a draft for everyone and whatever you're comfortable with. Join us on Draft today. Search Draft in your app store or go to draft.com. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. That's right. Play a real money game for free with promo code RW. That's RW for Roto World. And it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're offering you a money back guarantee up to $100. But you have to use our promo code RW. A free real money entry and a $100 money back guarantee. That's promo code RW to check it out for yourself. Should we get into some closer situations? Go for it. We have several of them. Yeah. Um, Brewers closer Corey Knebel suffered a freak hamstring tear while delivering a pitch last Thursday. Not something we covered on our last podcast because we had finished recording a few hours before it happened. That was a brutal uh, injury, man. Yeah. I thought it was like a season ender when I first saw it. Yeah. Um, but Brewers manager Craig Council has said the injury will take a minimum of six weeks to recover from. Um, Knievel said he, th- he thought he could be back in four, um, but I'll, I'll trust the manager on this one. Um, so there's a strong possibility that he's out until sometime in June. Um, over the last several games, Council is kind of mixed and matched with his relievers, but Matt Albers seems to be the preferred ninth inning man for my gauge on things. Albers earned a save on Wednesday against the Cardinals, also got a save opportunity on Tuesday night, uh, blew it, but earned a win when the Brewers beat the Cardinals in extra innings. Josh Hader, I think, is definitely the most talented guy in the Brewers' bullpen. Nasty left-hander who throws hard with wicked breaking stuff, but Council wants to keep him more flexible, like in an Archie Bradley, Andrew Miller type of role. I dig it. Um, Yeah, Jacob Barnes is is probably the second most talented guy in this bullpen. Could definitely see some save opportunities. Um, Already has one save, but Council also said that he wants to keep him a little more flexible, too, just – using Hader and Barnes to shut down any high leverage situations, no matter where they come. Um, I think all three Barnes, Albers and Hader are worth rostering. Yeah. But from what council has done so far, I think he like Albers, the veteran is the guy he wants to save for the ninth inning. Yeah. Um, I mean, if and, if you can and, put him in there with nobody on base at the you know start of the ninth yeah. inning, I mean, I, I can deal with that. I, I Barnes has had, I think two blown saves since the injury uh, yeah. to Knable. One really wasn't his fault, but the the other one certainly was. Um, so that probably hasn't helped him either. I still think this could go either way between Barnes and Albers. Um, and I guess Jeremy Jeffress is there too, but it seems like he's had pretty good results so far, but he hasn't really looked the same. Like his velocity's down a little bit. 
Um, so he's probably in a setup role, but he has saved games in the past too. So who knows? He could be thrown in that mix too if one of those guys struggles. Um, but at this point, it looks like Albers, you know, he got the most recent save, so he'll probably get the next opportunity, one of those kind of things. And then with the Cardinals, Greg Holland made his regular season debut on Monday after signing. Not pretty. A, yeah. <laughs> Signed a one-year, $14 million contract uh, with St. Louis on opening day. So they, they had to delay his arrival. The debut, like you said, not pretty. Walked four of the five batters he faced. Walked in the go-ahead run. Uh, the only out he got was on a sacrifice bun. Now, I, I wasn't watching this when it happened. Like, were the broadcasters saying, like, why isn't Matheny taking him out of the game? Like, how did this, how did this progress? No, the Cardinals broadcasters don't don't really say negative things about <laughs> I, okay. I really like their play-by-play man Dan, okay, Dan right. McLaughlin but they own they own the network that 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 their their games are broadcasted on gotcha um yeah I mean Holland obviously missed all of spring training made just two minor league rehab appearances in the warmer weather at high a Palm Beach then was just thrown into a tie game in St. Louis being played in 38 degree weather so I think there were plenty of justifiable reasons for why he was off. Um, I don't know if there was any justifiable reason for Matheny to to leave him in there to face five batters. Um, You could tell after the first batter, at least the first two, that he just didn't have it yet. Um, Holland did look much more like himself Wednesday in his second appearance with the Cardinals through a scoreless 13-pitch ninth inning. Uh, The Cardinals were down 3-1 when he came in, eventually lost 3-2, but probably a better environment to get him his first appearance. Um, I'd expect Holland to handle the next save opportunity that comes about. And I think he'll be pretty good in that role. If he pitches like he pitched on Wednesday, had a a really nasty splitter working. The velocity was up, Um, had a a way worse second half last year in Colorado than his amazing first half. But I would say he probably just ran out of gas um, down the stretch after missing the entire 2016 season following Tommy John surgery. They really might, pushed him early in the first half. Um, I, I think he got like something like 15 saves in like the first two months of the season. Like, and they really pitched him a lot. So I think you're right. I think he just kind of ran out of gas. And I, I think the Cardinals are going to push him too if, if they can. You know, it's a one-year deal. So it's like, you know, we're going to use you. That's um, true. And, and, and hopefully he's good enough uh, to keep it. I might stash Bud Norris and Jordan Hicks just in case if I'm in a deeper league. Jordan Hicks is... 21-year-old flamethrower who has just looked awesome so far. Seven Your new best out friend. In- yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome, man. <laughs> Seven shutout innings to open his major league career. Hadn't pitched above high A ball before this year. He's, he's nasty. He's really good. I think if, if you know, Holland's going to get the next few save opportunities if it just doesn't work out, um, you know, that would be probably like a week and a half from now if if they finally decide Holland needs to, to move to a setup role for a while or mid-relief, then I think Hicks by then could have built enough of a resume to, to make a real case for saves. Now, I know we're talking about closers right now, but Adam Wainwright's start on Wednesday, I know he ended up toughing it out and actually pitched pretty well results-wise, um, but how long do you think he keeps a rotation spot, especially with Flaherty continuing just to dominate in the minors? <sighs> I don't know, man. I, the Cardinals are like so, especially like Matheny is just, he's so loyal to these guys. It's a I tricky think, spot, no doubt about it. I think it's going to be a while. I think it might take an injury. Yeah, these things have someone. a way of working themselves out where yep. obviously Flaherty would be up at some point. 
if it's not Wainwright, you know, getting hurt again, it'll be somebody else. I mean, that's just how it goes. But Michael Waka hasn't hasn't looked great. Um, he's pitching right now on on my TV and struggling to retire Reds batters in a, in a lineup that doesn't have Joey Votto or, or Eugenio Suarez in it. Um, so uh, I don't know. I I I I've stashed Flaherty in a lot of leagues, so I'd that's like a, to see it happen. But I just don't call. know what's going on. I'm watching the Angels and the Royals right now. Uh, Otani's in a, a DH tonight. And so I'm, I'm excited to watch his, his at-bats and Mike Trout, of course. But um, other closer situations to watch, starting with the Rays, Alex Colome has been a mess so far this season. Uh, while Colome notched his third save of the season Tuesday against the White Sox, it was a narrow escape. Colome gave up a three-run homer to, to Jose Abreu in the frame. He's now been scored upon in three out of his five appearances this season, uh, while he's allowed five runs on 10 hits and four walks over four innings. Perhaps most alarmingly, he's only struck out one of the 25 batters he's faced so far this year. Um, you know, so it is some alarming stuff. Colome's insisting he's fine. The thing about the Rays are, I think they'll give him every chance to figure things out. Um, because if he does, he ends up making for some really valuable trade bait. So I don't think they're going to, you know, cut bait with him anytime soon. Um, but if you want to speculate, Sergio Romo would probably be the guy. I think it's someone... I don't. I think if you gave some people a chance to guess what team Sergio Romo's on, they would probably not say the Rays. Uh, he's definitely flying under the radar there, and he's actually been really good uh, since joining the Rays last season. Romo quietly has a one five four ERA in thirty appearances since joining the Rays last year. So, uh, if you want to stash somebody in that bullpen, go for it. I just don't think we're really going to see a change there, unless unless Kyle May ends up going on the DL or something like that. Um, finally, with the White Sox, Joaquin Soria blew a save against the Tigers a week ago. He's only made one appearance since. Uh, the White Sox haven't been winning many games recently, so that makes sense. But Nate Jones got the call to close out Wednesday's win over the Rays. Uh, Jones underwent a nerve repositioning procedure on his elbow uh, last July, but he looked good in the spring, and he's looked good in three out of his four appearances so far this season. It didn't seem like anything was really settled at the end of spring training as far as the closer role, but... Uh, White Sox manager Rick Renteria seemed to favor Soria early in the year. He was giving him the early chances. Um, but the pecking order, obviously subject to change and may already be in progress right now. I think we both preferred Jones over Soria in the spring. I think he's the superior upside play as the season moves along. Yeah, I think a big big part of it is the contract. And we talked about this in our relief rankings episode you know, Soria has a $10 million team option for 2019. That's definitely not getting picked up. And I think they'll, they'll probably try to trade him at some point, maybe even in June. And then Nate Jones has a really team friendly contract, a bunch of options, none of them over $6 million that runs through 2021. So, you know, they might want to make him part of, of their rebuild, um, which, you know, it has started to, to yield some results. Uh, I mean, I like their offense at least. Um, so I, 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 I would, Jones is the guy I like, uh, you know, over the course of the season there. Agreed. And and the thing about him, since he is signed to that team-friendly deal, it isn't one of those situations where a rebuilding team is worried about arbitration and the salary mm-hmm. rising through that. So they could hang on to him, or they could cash in now, uh, knowing the elbow problems he's had. So it could go either way. Uh, I wouldn't bank on having either of them for the entirety of the season in the closer role, but I think Jones... Jones and Soria should both be owned, but uh, I have more hope for Jones uh, this season. So uh, I want to move on here to some early season standouts, just to kind of get a feel for 
whether we're buying these players uh, for the season. I, I know we don't have much data to work with yet. Most teams have played about 12, 13 games, something like that. Um, but given what we know, let's let's go for it. Uh, a few players stand out to me. Uh, so I'm just going to list them, and I want to get your take on who you believe in and who you don't. Um, start with Tim Anderson. He's got three homers and six steals through 11 games. Uh, Matt Chapman with the A's. He's hitting 347 with a 418 on base percentage. Four homers, 11 RBIs through 13 games. Uh, Jamison Tyone with the Pirates had a one-hit shutout this week against the Reds. Uh, Tyone now owns a 1-2-6 ERA with 16 strikeouts and two walks in 14 and a third innings. Patrick Corbin, he's been a monster. 2-4-5 ERA with 29 strikeouts in 18 and a third innings through his first three starts. Uh, and finally, Dansby Swanson, after a miserable 2017, he's hitting 348 with a 940 OPS through 11 games. I like all those hitters. Um, Anderson and Swanson is kind of post-type guys coming off underwhelming showings last year. I'd say Chapman's my favorite of, of the bunch of those hitters. Just a really good all-around player. 14 home runs over his first 84 major league games last season as a rookie. Um, already has four home runs and 11 RBIs in 13 games this year. You talked about the batting average and plate discipline too. An OPS of nearly 1,100. Also plays great defense at third base. Was worth 2.7 wins above replacement in just over half a season um, as a rookie. But, yeah, with Anderson, I mean, it's been nice to see him run more. He, he's now 31 for 34 on stolen base attempts since making his major league debut in 2016. Clearly ready to be more aggressive in that department. Swanson, you know, was the number one overall pick in the 2015 drafts, uh, debuted at the major league level in 2016 and, and played well that, that short cup of coffee before disappointing in a, in a big way last year. Um, he's in a Braves lineup that has been very good in the early part of the 2018 season and, and should only get better when Ronald Acuna arrives, which could happen early next week. I think um, Swanson has been batting either sixth or seventh and I don't know how quickly he can climb up. He's also not um, a guy that you project a lot of counting stats for, even even when he comes into his own. Um, just, you know, has nice speed and nice pop, but maybe not big-time speed and big-time pop. Um, Chapman hit second the other night for the A's uh, on, on Tuesday, that was, and then hit fifth on Wednesday. Um, if he's going to hit in the two-hole, that would be – really advantageous for him. Um, I, I like all of them in a way. I would rank them Chapman, Anderson, and then Swanson. Um, and then with the pitchers, uh, Tyon recorded his first career shutout on Sunday against the Reds, allowed just one hit, struck out seven. It's nice to see him dominating after a rough 2017 season. It's a great story, man. Yeah, included a testicular cancer, cancer diagnosis in May. Um, he underwent surgery, missed about six weeks, but came out with a clean bill of health after that did pitch well in some starts in the second half, not so great in others. It was kind of a weird up and down roller coaster second half for him once he came back from that cancer. Um, but yeah, you know, a ton of talent, former second overall pick was a big time prospect for like five years. Um, his next start is against the Marlins who have hit 218 with a 597 OPS as a team. Um, so it, he should be able to, to, to get it done then I, he's someone I wish I would have targeted more in drafts, but you know, it was a pretty underwhelming year last year for him. Um, Corbin is somebody I wish I targeted in drafts this spring. I was, I was all in on Zach Granke and Zach Godley and Robbie Ray and even some Taiwan Walker, but 
I don't have any shares of Corbin. Um, the strikeouts have been incredible. 29 and 18 or third innings dominated the Dodgers last week at home, allowing just one hit and, and racking up a career high 12 strikeouts in that start. He's throwing much more of his slider, which is really his best pitch and really one of the best sliders, I think, in the majors. Less of his fastball, which is not a very good pitch. So I think he's figured something out um, that, you know, that, that a lot of young pitchers just kind of figure out. I, I don't. I'd, I'm I'm a believer in, in every guy that you listed. <laughs> Corbin's uh, slider usage is up to over forty um, yeah. percent, and hey, it's working for him so far. Is that and sustainable? <laughs> I I don't know. It's it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch, and it sort of flew under the radar with Corbin last year. And I was actually surprised to see this as I was sort of researching for this show. Corbin had a two eight two ERA with over a strikeout per inning over his final fifteen starts last season. Um, and now that, you know, the, the Diamondback Stadium has the humidor, so uh, that's another factor in his favor. I think he has more upside this year than Tyone, and just because uh, Tyone's not someone who's going to give you that elite strikeout rate. I think Corbin will give you a strikeout per inning comfortably. Tyone, probably not going to do that, but um, he has great command and control, induces grounders at a really useful clip, and a good pitcher's ballpark, so I think I believe in both of those pitchers. I just think Corbin might have more upside this year. Um, but we are going to have to watch how sustainable the slider usage is. Um, as far as the hitters, I think Chapman's really fascinating. Um, he struck out in 28.2% of his plate appearances last season. So far this year, granted, not many games, but it's down to 18.2%. Uh, so drop a 10%. Uh, he's only played 13 games, so not a lot. Um, not a lot to make any sort of real judgment yet, but... Obviously, he'd be really interesting if he could keep that up. Coming into the spring, I thought maybe Chapman would hit 240, 250, best case scenario, something like that. But if he can keep those strikeouts down, I think it could be considerably better. And, you know, we've seen him swinging less often, especially on pitches outside of the strike zone. So uh, really promising trends for him so far. Uh, with Anderson, he was a lot more aggressive on the base pass down the stretch last year. So this is really a continuation of that. So maybe it's just someone who... Needed a little bit of time to get more comfortable uh, stealing bases in the majors. He stole a ton of bases in the minors, but we really didn't see it over the first year uh, in the majors. So, um, but and finally with Swanson, um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a big mixed league guy. Um, I think yeah. he's someone that you know, if he could give you ten homers, ten steals annually with a decent batting average, you'll probably be happy. But that's someone who's more like middle infielder material and like a deeper mixed league um right now he has a 429 batting average on balls in play um and that's not going to sustain itself i think his batting average could could settle in like that 275 280 range something like that with double digit homers and steals probably someone is going to be more useful in real life than in fantasy um so i'd probably put swanson last out of this group um so yeah i'd go corbin over tyone among the pitchers even though i like both of them um I like Chapman's all-around game. If he can improve the plate discipline, I'd put him first over Anderson, who still has a super flawed approach, um, just doesn't walk very much. That's going to hurt him uh, no matter what. Um, that's going to limit his chances to steal bases. So I'd put Anderson there, and then I'd put uh, Swanson third out among those hitters. But um, I'm a big fan of, of Anderson, at least in the sense that steals are hard to find right now. Yeah. Um, so if he can bring that to the table, you know, he could be a top 12 fantasy shortstop this year. And that's not something I was expecting coming into the year. So, 
Um, last thing before we go, um, just some waiver wire starting pitchers to consider. Um, I put all these guys in waiver wired on Thursday. I'm going to start with Nick Pavetta from the Phillies. Uh, Pavetta allowed two runs over seven innings Wednesday against the Reds. Now owns a 2.70 ERA with 19 strikeouts and two walks in 16 and two-thirds innings across his first three starts this season. Now, there is some reason for skepticism. Pavetta was rocked to the tune of a 6.02 ERA last season, but he also struck out 140 batters on 133 innings, so reason to be intrigued behind that. Pavetta works in the mid-90s with the fastball, also throws a curveball and a slider. I think we mentioned this on a recent show, but right-handed batters absolutely crushed Pavetta last year. Um, we're only talking about a small sample so far this year, but Pavetta's pretty much dominated right-handed hitters so far this year. Hopefully that's good news about his progress with his secondary pitches. It's just something we're going to need to track more and more. Um, but I think Pavetta is well worth a pickup. Uh, he's available on about 80% of Yahoo leagues right now. Yeah. Well, the walks are, are way down, obviously a small sample size, but I mean, that that's the thing with him. If he's got the stuff to be a really, really good pitcher. Um, and then I've got another good starting pitcher pickup, uh, Ray's right-hander Yanni Torinos, who's not on my radar at all leading into spring training or, or really the start of the regular season, uh, made the Rays bullpen out of camp, um, pitched four scoreless innings of, of long relief in his major league debut, then walked or then worked five scoreless innings in his first major league start April 5th against a really good Red Sox team. And then five and a third scoreless innings in his last start Wednesday against the White Sox. So he's been unscored upon so far in, in three appearances and all of them pretty lengthy. Um, the Rays opened the year with the idea of using a four-man rotation, which then dropped to three when Nate Eovaldi needed another elbow surgery. And now it looks like Chirinos will officially take that that number four spot. And he's not a flash in the pan, like small sample size guy either. Has a 2.68 ERA and over 500 career professional innings. That includes the minors and this latest run in the majors. Had a 2.73 ERA, 0.97 whip, and 141 strikeouts in 168 plus innings last year between AA and AAA. Issued just 26 walks in those 168 innings. Um, next start will come at home in Tropicana Field against a Rangers team that is down Elvis Andrews and, and Rudy Dodor and um, who else am I missing? Delino to Shields. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on Torino. I think he's, he's got pretty much the full package, maybe not a huge strikeout guy, but close to like, you know, 8.0 K per nine is, is pretty good. It's funny because he was never rated as a top prospect. Like I was, mm-hmm. Uh, looking at different prospect li- lists coming into the year and even from last year. I mean, he was barely a top 20 guy for the Rays. Um, but he always put up good numbers in the minors. I guess it's tricky when someone isn't a huge strikeout pitcher. I think it's sometimes hard to evaluate you know, where they may fit in a major league rotation. But the control's really good. The command's there. I watched part of his start the other night, and the stuff looked pretty good to me. And he could ramp up the velocity when he needed to. Um, so I think he's pretty intriguing. So, uh, again, uh, with Chirinos, he's a guy who's out there in a ton of leagues, over 90% of Yahoo leagues right now. So why not take a chance on someone who could be sort of a breakthrough guy? I don't think we're expecting fantasy ace or anything like that, but a, you know, a useful back end guy for your fantasy staff. I think he could definitely be that. Um, 
Last one for me, Zach Wheeler with the Mets. Um, and I wasn't expecting to mention him here, but uh, Wheeler made his season debut Wednesday against the Marlins, tossed seven innings of one-run ball, gave up just two hits and one walk while striking out seven, only needed 83 pitches to get through seven innings. Yes, it was the Marlins, but it was a really impressive performance. The stuff looked really, really good. Uh, Wheeler amassed 14 swinging strikes, eight of them coming on his slider, sat in the mid-90s with his fastball, um, which was really encouraging to see. Um, and Wheeler made this mechanical change uh, to shorten his delivery during spring training. Um, I think it's to take some of the stress off his elbow, which has been a problem in recent years for him. Um, but so far, so good. Um, I guess the rub here is that Jason Vargas is getting closer to returning from that hammock bone surgery that he had. So Wheeler might only have one more start in him, um, and it'll be against the Nationals next week. So that's kind of a tough matchup. But Wheeler's shown potential in the past before the Tommy John surgery. And as I said, the stuff looked really legitimate on Wednesday, uh, admittedly against a bad offense. But I think he's intriguing again in fantasy leagues. And, and as we said, you know, these situations have a way of working themselves out. And it's not like the Mets have had the best injury history in the <laughs> rotation anyway. So even if Wheeler gets booted right now, I think he'll get more chances down the road. And Wheeler's still out there in about 80% of Yahoo leagues. I think he's going to come in handy at some point this year, even if it's not immediately. The Mets are 10-1, and one, dude. It's crazy. I, I, <laughs> and it's pretty much every night they're trailing and they come back. I'm not anticipating them to be this good all year, uh, but just to bank those wins early is so huge. Sure. For the uh, wild card race, yeah, I mean, it is huge. And I think I think the Nationals will eventually take charge of that division. You know, assuming Daniel Murphy comes back and is more like himself, mm-hmm. Adam Eaton comes back and, and is healthy. Uh, I think the Nationals will get it together uh, and be the team everyone expects them to be. Um, but as I said, I you know if that rotation can stay healthy for the Mets, I think they'll be in it. But if they're not, they won't. And it's really pretty much that simple. Anything else for for you this week? Uh, that's all I got. All right. I just wanted to comment on the Mets record. <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to brag, but you brought it up, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, enjoy your night. Uh, lots of baseball. Um, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So um, that will be it for this week. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Sill. And we'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.